7.45 on a Saturday morning time once again for our wine chat with our friends from Haskell's. And uh, usually we uh, talk to uh, our friend Jack Farrell. It's Ted Farrell, who's another friend of ours. Hi, Ted. Good morning, Denny. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, just trying to run between the raindrops like everybody else. Well, you've got to do a lot of dodging because there's a heck of a lot of rain out there. <laughs> and it looks like it's going to be around uh, for a while. Uh, what, uh, what do you think we can chat about today? Well, you know, kind of on that topic, uh, you know, I'd like to talk about how kind of your wine taste and wine trends, it should change with the season. Um, you know, all summer long, it's been kind of warm. Maybe you're drinking Sauvignon Blanc, you're drinking Riesling, those lighter style wines, uh, maybe lighter style red wines. And now with this kind of cold, damp weather, you know, it's almost like we're in jo- uh, jolly old England. You kind of want to change your taste and to kind of move that uh, your wines to something a little bit heavier. So if you'd like those lighter style whites, you know, maybe try to get into a Chardonnay, like a California Chardonnay, uh, like a Fog Mountain or a Projection Chardonnay. They're terrific. They're bigger. They're a little bit more robust. They give a little bit of oak finish to it. So they, they, there's some heaviness to it. There's some weight to that particular wine because, you know, maybe on your tablescape, you're also changing things. You're not really having a lot of light foods or salads. Or, you know, last night uh, spent the part of the evening watching my son's football game. And when we came back, we had a huge pot roast. And what that called for was a real big wine. And I poured myself a little Zinfandel from California, which was just perfect for that because that pot roast was so thick, so big and heavy. You needed something to kind of match with it. You have to admit, a little chilly on the bones as well, being outside for that walk. You needed something a little bit more heavy. And I poured myself that perfume in Zinfandel. And boy, did uh, things warm up. I mean, that's, you kind of have to be aware of that or keep those uh, ideas where you maybe want to start drinking some heavier reds uh, to kind of stick to your ribs. You know, the Cote de are just wonderful wines. They're blends of Grenache, Syrah, Volvedra, and there's so many to choose from these days as far as an inexpensive Cote de or you can elevate your game and maybe try a little uh, uh, Crow's Hermitage, which is a district in the a little further north in the Rhone Valley, a little bit more uh, Grenache in there, a little bit heavier, a tad bit more Zinfandel. So, it's, again, those wines are those type of wines that will stick to your ribs and kind of warm you up on these cold, dreary days like we have today. Well, I you made me think about, and we talked to your dad and you about this uh, in the past, but I think this is kind of a, uh, a chili, con carne uh, kind of day. Of course, some people don't, and some people don't like, let me ask you this about chili. Because I had an argument with an old boss of mine about, he said, do you put beans in your chili? I said, I like beans in my chili. No, no, that's not the way you have chili. What do you think? What's your opinion I, of chili? Well, you know, that's the funny thing. And I think that especially, it, usually that's a fighting point with folks in Texas. You don't put yes, any beans. That's in where this chili. guy was from. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And what their chili is basically is pulled beef. You know, they'll sit and stew a, a, you know, a real rough cut of beef for a long period of time and all their spices and all that. I think a little bit of bean in there gives it a little bit of character and gives it a little crunch. You know, you need a little bit of fiber in that. So, uh, again, it's a southern thing, but you're very right. You know, chili with all those spices, it's so heavy, it's warm, a little melted cheese and onion on there. Again, a bigger, more robust wine, uh, again, like Zinfandel's, would go so well with that. You know, it just kind of sticks to your ribs. Because, you know, I mean, quite frankly, even running out to your car in weather like this, you kind of get cold and damp. You know, you feel it from your feet to the top of your head. 
you need something to kind of stick to the to warm you up in that body of yours, you know. Ted, what else besides a Zen would go good with a nice uh, uh, heavy chili, nice tasty, maybe spicy chili? Well, you know, you could jump into uh, some Spanish wines, try some Grenaches. I have a El Circo that's nice. It's a little bit rounder and fruitier compared to, let's say, a Zinfandel. But it's also, you know, they're nice, inexpensive wines. Uh, they're kind of fun, but like a Grenache is uh, same grape varietal that you see come from the Rhone Valley. Uh, you could even try the, the, uh, the El Circo also does a Tempranillo. Uh, Tempranillo is a fun little grape varietal that would go well with that. But again, we're kind of migrating away from those lighter styles, maybe like a Beaujolais or even Pinot Noirs, or you're jumping to that. Another one that comes to mind is a, a brand we get out of California called Fog Mountain Field Blend. Now, the field blend is kind of interesting because usually you think of a blend when the uh, cellar master has some finished cab, some finished uh, Zinfandel, some finished Syrah, whatever, and then starts blending it uh, in the cellar when it's wine. Where a field blend is an old-fashioned way of doing it where they kind of threw all the grapes in one bin and then crushed. So it's a little bit different method of making the wine, but the Fog Mountain Field Blend is a terrific one with that pot of chili or that uh, pot roast that you have. And it's uh, full, robust. There's a little bit of cab, you know, kind of a kitchen sink sort of wine. There's cab in there. There's Zinfandel. Maybe a tad bit of Merlot to soften it up. And and whatever the you know kind of leftover grapes are, everybody in the pool. Let's crush them. Let's see what we got. And it's a wonderful, wonderful wine. Wanted to ask you and your dad too, for that matter, about uh, the different regions, the the wine producing regions. If if they've I don't want to say the word improving, maybe, but uh, what about let's talk a little bit about the South African wine, just for a minute. What, what, what's your opinion of those? Have they improved over the years? Well, they've definitely improved. In all wine, you know, we are in a renaissance of the wine uh, growing uh, industry right now across the board, where, you know, I mean, geez, think of that. We're growing wine here in Minnesota. Uh, they're growing wine everywhere that the, the, where the, you can grow wine. And the interesting thing is, is the exchange of ideas and the exchange of technology. Uh, you know, South Africa has some uh, very, very old vineyards, uh, and they're great wines. The only interesting thing about the South African wine, they haven't had like that boom time uh, like other regions had. So like in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, Chile was the hottest one. And then that was surplanted by Australia, became popular, popular, popular. But for some reason, the South African wines have never really taken off. And I don't know if it's sort of the exchange where maybe they people have had them in South Africa, and they're only a dollar or so, maybe two. And then when they get up to the United States, they're $10, $15. And, you know, people are like, well, it's good, but it wasn't that good kind of thing. So for some reason, the South African wines haven't taken off. But, you know, whether it's they hung their hat too much on the Pinotage grape varietal, you know, sort of similar to what the Shiraz grape varietal was for Australia, and just it fizzled out. Uh, the American palate hasn't really embraced the South African wines to have that extraordinary boom, but they are big. They do a massive amount of exporting, especially up into the Scandinavian countries and throughout the world. But we're seeing just a renaissance of that where, you know, there's wine uh, growing in Eastern Europe. Granted, they've always grown wine, but again, you're seeing the technology. I mean, it's just amazing what a temperature-controlled stainless steel fermentation tank can do to your output as far as quality. Uh, it's just amazing. Where these days, it's very difficult uh, almost to kind of run into a bad wine that's made 
professionally because they have so much technology and so much technique. It's quite incredible. Ted, what, by the way, we're talking with Ted Farrell this morning. Uh, what about the area like uh, wines? And I haven't tried the wines from Chile in a long time. H- how do they stand out? They still stand up, and they're still doing a great job. You know, I again, with them, it's a little bit of infrastructure for years. You know, they, they had to switch around where you taste the wine from them, and it just blow you away. One of the best wines that you ever had. And then the next year, the, the production was a little bit uh, a little bit soft. Or they even did some things where you heard about different wineries where they had tanker trucks that had to cut the grapes up in the hills and then travel almost 30, 40 miles to the winery. So some of the, you could get some kind of weird vintage variation. Uh, but the Chilean wines, they're still making wonderful wines. Yeah, it just depends. You kind of have to pick and choose at times. You know, but there's the Grand Oak, uh, the the estate of Casino Mucal, which is kind of the Lafitte Rothschild of it. Uh, they've had some importation problems, so I don't. Uh, we don't have a lot of those, or if any of those, on the shelf. So it's just a little bit different. And also, I hate to say the thunder from uh, down. No, it's actually not the thunder from down under. That would be Australia. Uh, but the thunder kind of switched and jumped to the other side of the Andes, and it was all about the Malbec. So right now, the, the Argentinians are experiencing that kind of big grand uh, hoorah in Mendoza with all the Malbec that they're producing. So. Chile is a little bit uh, forgotten about. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I Not to belabor the whole chili idea. I mean, the food chili. Uh, oh. What about Mal? Is Malbec too big for that that dish? Well, I, you know, yes and no. I mean, I guess it depends on how much spice and, and what you have in your chili. Because I think uh, if it's a little, if, if you have a lot of spices in there, a lot of cumin, a lot of chili powder, you know, that Malbec does have enough backbone to handle with that. Again, one of my favorites, and our company's number one selling Malbec is Aguari Bay. Uh, it's been an investment by the, uh, or the Rothschild family, went down there about 15, 20 years ago, invested heavily in that area, and just makes a wonderful, wonderful uh, Malbec. And, you know, it's kind of big brother. It's called the Los Flechas de los Andes. Is is a Malbec that I swear every time I had it, it turned it's so big and heavy it turns your tongue purple. It's just a wonderful <laughs> wine, and that has enough big oomph body to go with that big bowl of chili. You know, especially on such a, I keep on looking out the window and seeing how dreary it is. I think I'm going to stay inside all day. I think I'm going to do that tonight too. Uh, what about Is it a fair statement to say that Pinot Noir, that grape, is tough to grow correctly? If that's the right word. You are very, it's probably the most difficult grape to grow for the simple fact that it's so thin skinned and it's very, very temperamental to weather. So, um, even the right now at Burgundy is kind of the, the epicenter of Pinot Noir, uh, growing. You know, people look to it. They've been recording Pinot Noirs, uh, in the history of Pinot Noir now for almost 500 years. I read an interesting article about how they have. Uh, the old Cistercian monks kept track of the weather conditions and temperatures almost 500 years ago. So they have records that go far back. And ironically, this is one of the hottest uh, summers on record. And so certain districts are kind of, since the skin of the Pinot Noir grape is so thin, when that heat kind of gets to them, they have to manipulate their canopy on the grapes or on the leaves so it protects it a little bit more. And that's the incredible thing about it. It's like kind of a cooler climate. Uh, it likes the warmth in the in the daytime, but not super big heat. Where that's one reason, like in the Napa Valley per se, they don't grow very good Pinot Noir. They grow very good Pinot Noir over in Alpha Humber 
fog comes rolling down the river uh, and versus Nampa, where you get often temperatures that stay at around 97 degrees quite regularly, and that's too hot. But the Cabernet grape varietal, once it has a real thick skin, goes well with that. So Pinot Noir, very, very finicky. And then on the flip side, you know, they call Pinot Noir the most noble of the four noble grape varietals, and that's Merlot, Cab, Syrah, and then Pinot Noir. And they say of the four, it's the most noble because really there isn't another grape varietal that you can blend with it to enhance its flavor and its character. Well, so it's the most noble. So, you know, those blue bloods, they don't like to play with anybody else. <laughs> That's right. And no matter if you're having chili tonight or whatever you may be serving uh, your friends or your family, uh, get over to any one of the Haskell's locations. Those folks are always so helpful. Right, Ted? You are correct, Eddie. And today uh, and we have our fall sales starting. Uh, thousands of wines on sale, a great opportunity to stock up. And more importantly, you know, it's a uh, try if you want to buy. So from 2 to 5 in all the Haskell's locations today, we're having our grand tasting. So there'll be several wines in every store to come in and try. So if you got interested in a few of these wines that we talked about today, you can stop in one of the Haskell's, give it a shot, try it out and see what you think, and then stock up. Because there's Haskell's all throughout the metro area to take care of you. There's a Haskell's in downtown with lots of free parking on Saturdays and Sundays. There's a Haskell's out in Minnetonka. There's a Haskell's in, uh, right in Highland Village in St. Paul, right down in Lowman's Plaza in Bloomington as well. If you are an adventurous sort or you're taking your boat out of the lake, they have a Haskell's in downtown uh, Excelsior. But then we also have White Bear Lake, Woodbury, uh, over in Stillwater as well, Plymouth. And then you can stop by our super cellar up in Maple Grove. Or if you're on a road trip, stop by our Haskell's in Faribault. Sounds good, Ted. Always a pleasure. Hope we can uh, talk again real soon. We'll have another show next week, of course. Oh, sounds good. We'll just see. When my father's gone, he's on his 60th high school reunion this weekend, and he called me about five minutes to say, hey, you better be on the air in five minutes. I'm stepping on the plane. So. <laughs> you, 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 got the, you got the call kind of a short term, so uh, baptism by fire here, I guess you'd call it. That's the best way. That's the way I learned. I love it. All right. Thanks, Ted. We'll talk. We'll talk next week. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Ted Farrow for his dad, Jack, and our wine chat.